Luckily, it was really controlled. They had originally told me in the beginning if I wanted to try a vaginal delivery that I could, but we also knew how sick she was at that point. And me and my husband's thoughts were just the more controlled environment and the safer we can get her out is just the best. So it wasn't, you know, what we planned, but none of that pregnancy was. You're listening to the Mommy Labor Nurse Podcast, where you'll gain the knowledge and confidence you need to erase the unknowns of pregnancy and birth and rock the newborn days like a boss. My name is Liesl Teen. I'm a fellow mom, labor and delivery nurse, and your host. Each week on this podcast, you'll hear a mix of birth stories, expert interviews, and other fun pregnancy and birth-related content. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice please see mommylabornurse.com slash disclaimer for more details. And now let's get into this week's episode. This week on the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast, fellow mom Peyton Bridges came on the show to share her incredible birth story. Peyton reached out to me to share the story of her surprise first time pregnancy turn bad around week 22, super crazy early. After being admitted to the hospital at 24 weeks, she was told she couldn't go home until she gave birth. Yeah, guys, 24 weeks. And let's just do some math. You know, 40 minus 24 is about 16 weeks. She was thinking at that time. That is a pretty long time. What the doctors initially suspected was preeclampsia, but it turned out to be this rare complication known as a mirror syndrome. In the episode, you'll hear her tell her story about how they tried to keep her growing as long as possible, her baby growing as long as possible, but that she ended up having an emergency section at 26 weeks after lots of ups and downs. She explained how when she was going through that, she did what we all do and went to Google to look at the statistics and other stories. But it was so difficult to find positive information on mirror syndrome and positive outcomes. Her hope with coming onto the show and sharing her story is that it will give hope to another mom going through the same thing. Without further ado, let's hear from Peyton. Wondering what you need to do to stay on track during each week of pregnancy? Not sure what you need to be learning or researching along the way? I can help. Sign up for our free weekly pregnancy series to get tips, advice, and resources tailored to your exact week of pregnancy sent straight to your inbox every week. Sign up at mommylabornurse.com slash I am pregnant to get your first email today. See you in your inbox real soon. Hi, Peyton. Welcome to the Mommy Labor Nurse podcast. Thanks so much for being here today with me. Thank you so much for having me on here. Yeah. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, all that good stuff? Anything you want to share? Yes. So my name is Peyton. I am married to my husband, Aaron. have family actually in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. But my husband and I were living in Hawaii when actually we were pregnant with our first. So yeah. So my husband's in the army. We were stationed out there on Oahu. Far from family and kind of crazy because when everything happened, it was when COVID hit. So oh, yeah, but interesting. Yeah. So he was out there obviously for military reasons. Yes. 
Got it. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, usually what I have people do is kind of go back and tell me, don't tell me how you got pregnant because that's a little (laughs) TMI, right? But I have people kind of go back and tell me, you know, how your journey was to getting pregnant. And then we'll talk about your pregnancy a little bit and then we can talk about birth story. Awesome. Yeah. My husband and I actually, I feel like it's such a military thing, but we got legally married before having our wedding because we lived in Hawaii. We went ahead and got legally married, just us out there. And then we planned our wedding to be back in Charleston to be with family. So our wedding was actually scheduled for March of 2020. And the week that COVID really hit the States was the week of our wedding. And so, yes, of course. (laughs) It was well, day of our wedding that our wedding got canceled. And oh so, my God. yes. And things got kind of crazy from there. Our flights back to Hawaii kept getting canceled and delayed. I'm a nurse. And so I was talking to my manager, like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to do. But at that point, when we got back, we both had to quarantine for 14 days since they had no clue what we were bringing back. And ironically enough, after all the delays, my husband and I had talked about it. We're like, you know, we're ready to go off birth control. Just see what happens. Yeah. So when we were in South Carolina, I ran out of birth control and I was like, well, I guess we're stopping now. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And then we went back home to Hawaii and we were quarantined together for 14 days. And And that's how it happens, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so it was just really funny. I actually found out I was pregnant three weeks after stopping birth control. I never even got a period in between. I didn't know that was possible. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so it was our little surprise. We were really excited. And yeah, it was a whole new thing. I did have two friends out there who were pregnant at the time. So it was really fun to kind of start the journey with them. I had a lot of help and guidance like throughout everything. But yeah, that's basically how it all started. And it was funny. I called my OB. I had like a yearly PAP scheduled and I called her and I was like, Hey, well, I'm actually pregnant. And they're like, okay, we'll come in now. Let's (laughs) confirm things, get things going. So that was fun. And honestly, my pregnancy was pretty, I'd say standard and normal from the beginning, like morning sickness was sucks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It sucks for everybody who has it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also like skeptical. I know they say it's like 80 or 85% of people have morning sickness. And I'm like, I feel like it's like a hundred percent. Yeah. There's some day that you feel a little nauseous. It's just just like the uneasy queasiness. And yeah, so that hit me and I'm trying to think of when any of my funky stuff started, but it seems pretty normal around 12 weeks, which I think a lot of it related to my morning sickness because I would, mine hit at night actually a lot. And so yeah, I throw up, common. Yeah, I had a shift that I was working. I was there at 7am and I get to work, I'm doing handoff at report. And I was like, I just feel so lightheaded. Something's funky. I ended up passing out at work. And so they took me down to the ER. Oh, <laughs> So I always wondered, I'm like, was something going on then? All my lab work looked great, but I think probably just dehydrated from being sick So that was kind of my first like weird thing that happened with pregnancy. And I feel like after that, I kind of was just on high alert for my friends haven't gone through this, like what's going on. And really throughout my first trimester, I didn't gain any weight, which my OB was like, you know, that's normal. That's okay. And then we went for my 20 week ultrasound baby looked great. And I ended up going, my ultrasounds were at a different spot than my actual OB office. So I went to my OB after and I went, I gained 20 pounds and we were like, 
holy moly. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it was a big jump. I think I had last seen her at 16 weeks. And so within that time period, I gained a lot of weight and I wasn't eating different. Nothing was different, but it was just strange. But we're like, let's just monitor it. So when things really kind of took a turn for me was around 22 weeks. And with COVID going on and working in the hospital, I honestly thought I had COVID. I had my husband take me to get tested twice because I was so miserable. And I just remember getting to a point where I was struggling so much at work. I go to work and my coworkers were like, are you okay? And I just start crying because overall, I just was not feeling myself and not thriving. And my friends were thriving in pregnancy. So what sort of, sorry to interrupt you, what sort of symptoms did you, can you even describe it? Overall, like I was going to bed at 8, 8.30 on the okay. couch, going to sleep. I just say general, like lethargic, overall, I'm not feeling the best or myself. And I did start to notice, I started swelling, which I know, you know, swelling's normal in pregnancy, but like this early, is that really normal? But I was working 12 hour shifts. So I'd get home and I'd wear compression socks, but you know, like my legs would look a wreck. So that was kind of one thing. And I started just talking to more friends and other coworkers who had been through pregnancy and started watching my blood pressure. And honestly, that was kind of my first clue into like something's off. And not that my blood pressure was ever high, but it was higher than normal for me. Mm-hmm. So I think I started running steady 130s, 140s systolic. And I'm like, that's really off and not like yeah. myself. Yeah. So luckily my OB had my chart. And so I was messaging her all the time, telling her, this is my blood pressure. What do you think? What's going on? And so she did have me go in one time to see her. And at the time she's like, well, you don't look too bad. Your weight's, you know, hanging in there. You know, I think they did do blood work at the time I was anemic. She's like, start taking iron. Maybe that's why you're just feeling just so off and so tired. So I started that, but I mean, it just didn't get better. I had a solid two weeks of just, I felt like I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't taking care of things at home. Like I just had nothing in me. And so I'm actually really glad, like I had friends who really pushed me to continue. I felt like I was bugging my doctor. I didn't ever want to bother her with my worries if they were just, you know, first time mom worries. And I had friends who just kept encouraging me. So I think I was about 24 weeks when I called her and I was like, something's just really not right. I really don't feel good. And by this point, I had actually started feeling my daughter move around around 17 weeks. But by this point in my pregnancy, I'm like, she's not moving around like she usually does. And I know it's early. And so I know I wasn't supposed to count kicks, but I was like, you know what? It's just not usual. It's not. I had gotten so used to how things were with her. So I went to my OB and I told her all of that. They, you know, checked me over and she basically told me at that point, I was so swollen. She's like, you don't even really look like yourself anymore because I was just all over swollen. So at that point, I wasn't expecting it, but she sent me straight to the hospital. And you were how many weeks at this point? You said 24? 24. Okay. Okay. So 24 weeks, I went to the hospital and while COVID was going on, it really sucked in triage. They wouldn't let my husband come in. It wasn't until I got a room. And at that point, we weren't even sure if I would get admitted or what was going on. Yeah. They originally thought I probably had preeclampsia. That's what it sounds like. 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so they were just monitoring me for that. I think I was in the hospital for probably 12 hours before I got a room because of course it was just so busy. And I remember I was just there alone, miserable. And I think the stress of everything that morning around 3 a.m., I started having contractions and so they checked me, wasn't dilated or anything. But at that point, they're like, we need to get you in a room. So I got in a room that night and Honestly, it was kind of a whirlwind from there. My husband finally got to come. Luckily, the military was really understanding, let him stay with me. We were in the hospital for about 10 days before I ended up giving birth. We just tried to hold out as long as we could. Yeah. And remind me, you guys were back in Hawaii at this point too, right? Okay. Okay. So let's talk more about these 10 days that you were there and kind of leading up to when you did give birth. So 10 days is probably 26 some odd weeks. So tell me you were 26 and... I think I was 26 and two days when I gave birth. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about you got admitted Mm -hmm. and kind of what were they like saying, okay, let's get you to this point or let's do some more tests or were they just like not sure what's going on? At first they weren't really sure, you know, they thought preeclampsia, but my blood pressure was never high to like crazy high. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't really, really concerned about it, but then, you know, we did a ton of lab work and I had a lot of stuff that ended up off. Like my platelets were low, my creatinine was going up, which to me and my brain, I was like, well, makes sense. I was peeing less. Yeah. I was swollen. So it was just really odd. And then I remember they finally did an ultrasound and looked at my daughter and they saw she had high drops. She was anemic. And that's when they told us our diagnosis of mirror syndrome. Okay. So at that point, we really lucked out. The hospital that I delivered at is probably... Honestly, Hawaii is a lot different with healthcare and we're just really blessed we went there because they had all the resources that we needed as far as like maternal fetal medicine and other people to follow us. The hospital that I worked at didn't have a NICU, didn't have, you know, any of that. So it worked out really well, but our day-to-day was kind of crazy. They wanted to try and keep her in until 28 weeks when we found out the diagnosis. They told me, you're not leaving until you get birth at this point. So I have to ask the obvious question yeah. that I'm sure everybody is <laughs> wondering, what the heck is mirror syndrome? Oh my gosh. So <laughs> it is crazy. And honestly, I think they told us I was the first case they had seen there. Like, yeah. It's so unusual. It's so rare. And it's called Valentine syndrome. And basically they described it as my daughter inside the womb was having all of these symptoms and it was then making my body sick and my body was mirroring all of the symptoms she had. So, you know, I was getting all this fluid around me. She was getting fluid around her. We were both anemic and they basically told me, you know, you guys are both going to get sicker until she's outside of you. And then hopefully you both will do better and heal from there. The craziest part is they don't know what caused it, and it's still kind of a mystery to us, but I try now after like researching on my own about mirror syndrome, trying to find other families or Mm -hmm. just trying to learn more about it in general. I think it is such a rare thing, and I think it usually is caused by like some sort of trauma or they had checked, like did viral panels. I didn't have anything, so... 
I think what they saw and were guessing was that there was a slow bleed from my placenta that kind of set everything into motion. And so I don't know what, I didn't have any accidents, any falls. So it was really, really bizarre. I mean, you can just have, your placenta can abrupt without a trauma. Yeah. So it's possible, you know, that for whatever reason, yeah. it abrupted just a little bit and started yeah. that. That's really interesting. It was crazy. And we were really lucky that we had so many eyes on us. We daily had ultrasounds done kind of every day we woke up and we're like, is today the day that we're going to give birth? Let's yeah. see how she's doing. And yeah. they checked my labs and it was kind of a day to day of how sick can we get, let you both get without it getting too bad. And I'm trying to think of the point that it got to, they did see, and I can't remember the name of the test and you might know it, but it basically was a blood test to see how much of her blood was circulating in my system. Ah, not fetal fibronectin. That's the one. an F. See, now you're going to quiz me and I'm not going to know. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but yeah. I can't think of it off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll edit it in and I'll say, yes. hey, I was editing this and this is what the test is and I'll put it right here. Okay, let's get back I to it. I planned on being better prepared than I should have. <laughs> That's funny. So they obviously did that. And was that positive, you're saying? Yes. And okay. it was, I think at one point, I mean, it had gotten so bad. They told me she was basically in heart failure because she was losing so much. So we actually did two intrauterine blood transfusions while we were there before we delivered. And they did help. It kind of just bought us a little bit more time to try and let her grow. We also did steroid shots to try and get her lungs to develop as much as possible. And it finally got to a point where After our second intrauterine blood transfusion, they said the bleed's obviously not going to stop. So any more of these are kind of futile. And, you know, I think we have her at the best point that we can get her and your labs are getting worse. So it's just time to deliver. Makes sense. So So when you talk about bleeding, were you having any vaginal bleeding at all? No, I didn't have any. I was just so unbelievably swollen. It got to the point where everything on me, it hurt to walk because everything was rubbing together. But no, I was just, platelets were low and my hemoglobin dropped, but interesting. All right. The sound of that baby crying means it's time for this week's segment of Birth It Up Babies. All right. She says, my Birth It Up story. I did the epidural course and I went in very clear about my low pain tolerance. I was prepared for a C-section in case of emergency and had all the notes on what to do to labor smoothly and when to ask for the epidural. On January 15th, three days past my due date, I started having mild contractions about 20 to 30 minutes apart. I walked around a lot, relaxed, ate a bowl of ice cream, yum, and at around 10 p.m., I decided to take a bath before bed. I finished the bath and felt an intense need to poop. Whoa. I sat down on the toilet and heard a pop. Ooh, I think I know what that is. My husband heard it in the next room. Whoa. (laughs) And came in. Did he hear like the water come out or did he actually hear the pop? That's crazy. (laughs) She said, suddenly my contractions were every three minutes. Woo. 
We got into the car and caught every red light on the way to the hospital and got there 14 minutes later. I got to triage and had the biggest urge to push. The amazing L&D team got my leggings off and three minutes later, my daughter was born. Holy moly. (laughs) I had no time for an epidural or even to get my sweatshirt off, but all the prep in your course ensured I knew what to expect and had an incredible birth with no epidural, no tearing, and a beautiful baby girl. Oh, you guys should see the chills on my arm right now. I love these. Like I love reading these, you guys. I always get chills whenever I read DMs from you guys taking my birth course and, you know, telling me about your little birth it up babies. All right. If you want to check out the course that this mom took, she took birth it up the epidural series, but she did not have an epidural with her delivery. And, you know, this is a good example of, Hey, even if you plan on getting an epidural, if you take the epidural series, we will prepare you for what happens in case this happens to you. So just head over to mommylabornurse.com and click on the epidural series if you want to learn more. All right, let's get right back into this week's episode. So, okay, let's talk about the day that she was born. I'm assuming that you just kind of woke up and they were like, okay, it's time to go. So I want to know, was it more of like a controlled situation or did her heart rate drop and they were like, let's go or kind of what happened? Luckily, it was really controlled. They had originally told me in the beginning if I wanted to try a vaginal delivery that I could, but we also knew how sick she was at that point. And me and my husband's thoughts were just the more controlled environment and the safer we can get her out is just the best. So it wasn't, you know, what we planned, but none of that pregnancy was. And so the morning of, they actually, we had planned for it the night before because they let me have my last dinner and just kind of mentally were preparing me for it. So the morning of, they took me for one more ultrasound to look. And at that point they said, well, actually she kind of looks like she's hanging steady. What do you want to do? And at that point, 10 days in of this emotional roller coaster. And you're like a balloon. So you're like, come on. (laughs) Yeah. I was miserable. I felt terrible. And so I got to the point where I was like, I talked to my OB who I had ended up becoming really, really close at that point. And we just figured it's best. Like while she looks this good, this is her best chance. So the maternal fetal medicine team had kind of warned me throughout it, even with the intrauterine blood transfusions that, you know, this is dangerous and we don't know the chances that your daughter has. So we really had no clue. And we just decided like that morning, a C-section planned and having all hands on deck and there and ready was the best way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. So we go into the OR. Did you get to see her at all? Or did you have to go under general anesthesia or no, what What I happened? I to see her. Okay. I had gotten to the point where we were kind of familiar with everybody. Yeah. So I got my epidural done. They were letting me play whatever music I wanted. Everyone was just really on board and so supportive of our situation and our case. I think my husband was terrified. He counted. And I think there were like 18 people in the room, just everybody ready and waiting. And it was really good that we had the NICU team we had already met with. So we knew the neonatologist that was going to be delivering. My OB was there. We also had maternal fetal medicine there. And they ended up having like adult ICU there just in case. And the C-section went well. I epidural like 
did not feel a thing. I was just warm, comfy. And the one worry I did have was since she was so small, they had told me there's a chance we might have to do, I guess it was the two cuts for the C-section in case they couldn't get to her quick enough. We were really lucky that it was just a traditional C-section. And when they pulled her out, she actually cried, which I was blown away. I hear her cry and they did let me see her. So when she first was born, they went ahead and intubated her right away, just assuming that things weren't going to be that great. And she was actually breathing on her own. So they extubated her, but then things kind of went back south. So they re-intubated her. They had the NICU team there ready with, uh, what am I thinking of? The, I don't know. Thing like the incubator? Yes, the incubator. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so they were ready. And my husband actually got to go with our daughter and go to the NICU room. So she got there safely. I unfortunately didn't get to see her again until the following day. Just after my recovery, I was bleeding a good amount. And so okay. it was just it ended up kind of later in the day by the time they were comfortable with me. And then I think it just wasn't a good time. So we got transferred to mother baby the next day. And actually my OB was sweet. And I don't even think it was actually mother baby. It was some other floor, but it was right below the NICU so that I could just go up and down. Oh, good. And it was awesome. We stayed in the hospital for three or four days after that because I was admitted. We both got to go together, my husband and I, and visit her. But it was pretty crazy. She was teeny, one pound, 10.8 ounces. (laughs) So tiny. Well, I want to hear about your recovery first and how that was. And if you started doing pumping or anything like that. And then I want to hear about how she did in the NICU and her coming home. Yeah. Recovery. I think because it was so early on when I went into the hospital, I hadn't done any birthing classes. I had gotten a breast pump. I was so unprepared, but the team was great. They sent lactation in to see me right away. Helps me learn. She was helping me self-express. I was so excited because I was making some claustrums. We'd take teeny little vials. Yeah. People get so excited about like NICU moms are like, yes, I'm getting a little bit out. It's not this much, but I know it might've been like three MLs and would help catch the milk. And we were so proud. And so that was really supportive. I think it was hard because I just didn't know what to expect of recovery Oh my gosh, the fundus massages were miserable. Yeah, not so great. Yeah. I felt like I kind of bled for a while. I did end up getting transfused one unit while I was there, but I was already low to begin with prior to delivery. So did you get any blood transfusions during your pregnancy? I know she did, obviously, but Mm -hmm. did you as well? No, I was kind of, I think, hanging tight. My hemoglobin was around seven and platelets were kind of hanging around 90. So yeah, just hanging in there. But yeah, so I didn't get one till after. And recovery, I did not expect to be as emotional as I was. Just shock of it all. I think emotionally having a child born early, having her in the NICU, not the normal experience. And then my body felt like foreign to me at that time. I was still so swollen. I didn't look or feel like myself. And Luckily, like I had great nurses who were so supportive and so helpful and we just slowly got better day by day. Yeah. 
I want to know, when did the swelling start? You really like, when did you really start to feel like, okay, my, I'm peeing a lot now and it's starting <laughs> trying to do diarrhea. Yeah, I did get LASIK, so I was in. Okay. And I had a Foley after the C-section, which honestly was so nice that I wasn't having to move around as much with my C-section, but it was crazy. I had gained from pre-pregnancy to the worst spot in the hospital. I was 50 pounds heavier from all the swelling. And then I started dropping it so, so fast once my daughter was out. I think at one point I was gaining three to four pounds in the hospital a day. And then I was losing it like just as quickly, if not faster. Wow. Wow. Well, that's good. So I'm assuming you're saying, so you were doing the colostrum hand expression. Did you continue pumping throughout her whole journey or how did that go? Yeah. So I did, they helped me learn the hospital pump. So I was pumping while she was in the NICU, just waking up, trying to establish the supply. Luckily I did have supply come in. At looking back on it, it wasn't a ton, but my daughter in the NICU was only sometimes taking five mLs an hour. So I was killing it for that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And with our situation, pumping to me kind of felt like the only thing I had control over personally helping her with. So I really stuck with it. I pumped for six months and then it finally got to a point where she was eating so much. My supply was dropping that I couldn't keep up with her and they eventually started supplementing. So by the time she came home, we were just on formula, but I tried as long as I could. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, great. I mean, anything at all, even a little drop of colostrum. Yes. Well, I want to, I want to know about her and how long she was in the NICU and how her journey was. Yeah. So she was in the NICU. It was 166 days. I'll never forget. And it was really up and down the whole time. Initially, they were thinking, you know, she's going to be a normal 26-weeker. They told us she'll probably come home around her due date. She was born in September. We were hoping to have her home beginning of January. And then, you know, it's a roller coaster. It's never a steady journey. So She ended up sicker than we originally thought. She ended up with some bad pulmonary hypertension and just really immature lungs. So she actually was on the ventilator for the first four months of her life. And at some points we got calls of, you know, she's maxed out on her settings and we didn't know if she would ever make it home to us, but she just kept fighting and It was actually around December that we had a good turnaround with her. She had a PDA that just would not close up on its own. I have no clue, but Tylenol and ibuprofen can help close them. So yeah, I didn't know that. Interesting. Very interesting. So we had tried just, you know, medications first and they didn't help. So she ended up having surgery to have her PDA ligated. And then after that, I think just being able to oxygenate better, we really saw improvements. So She ended up extubated to high flow. She was on high flow for a while and then just slowly kept ticking down and we got her on low flow and they had kind of told us she was either going to come home with a trach or hopefully best case scenario on low flow oxygen. We were really blessed. She did get down to low flow oxygen and did okay with that. She also came home with a NG tube. We had talked about doing a G tube for her, but Her pulmonary hypertension was still so labile at that point that I guess doing a surgery could exacerbate it and make things worse. So it was best to just 
hold off on that. And we were in the NICU for so long and, you know, got so familiar with everyone. And we, I think doctors would change out. It was about every two weeks. And we, you kind of see a difference in older doctors who are a lot more hesitant and conservative. And then we had a younger doctor come on who was like, your child's been in here a long time. And me and my husband were very involved. And I think me having a nursing background, they were a lot more comfortable. So he's like, how do you feel about her coming home on oxygen and with an NG tube? I was like, I can do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. So it was about a week from when he started talking about it that we had a whole process and I had no clue how many like hands on deck case manager trying to set up for home equipment and all of that, but finally got it all done. And we took her home and she was on half a liter of oxygen and getting two feeds every three hours. <laughs> but it was awesome. We were really, really excited to get her home. Oh, that's so great. All right. So tell me, how old is she now? She is a little over one and a half, actually. Okay. So she's yeah. bigger now. Yeah. yeah. So does she have any lasting effects from her birth? We actually are really, really blessed. She got off of oxygen this past September, no longer on oxygen. And then a little over a month ago, she fully weaned from two feet and she's fully oral now. So oh, good. Yeah. yeah. She's definitely, you know, behind on things, which yeah. is normal for preemies. And yeah. she's crawling, she's pulling up, standing, she wants to walk, but not quite there yet. And yeah. She's getting there though. And I guess yeah. the expectation is hopefully by two or three, she'll kind of catch up with her peers. Yeah, no, that's great. Does she see like OT or have any consults or anything during the week? Yeah, she yeah. sees physical therapy, okay. occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Gotcha. And speech therapy did feeding with her to kind of help her learn her oral motor skills. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. That is so incredible. And I hope that if there is anybody else listening who's dealing with mirror syndrome, I know it's super rare that they yeah. are like, oh my gosh, this girl has the same thing that I do. Yeah. And wow, <laughs> like, I, I'm so happy to find somebody. Yes. And that was my, like my husband and I, when we were going through it, we had looked and searched and tried to find someone else. And it was we didn't really find any positive stories. So we just kind of hope that we can be that positive story to somebody else and support anybody else through it because it's a whirlwind, but we're really blessed. That's amazing. Well, do you mind sharing your, do you have a social media handle you want to share for anybody who wants to connect? Yeah, on Instagram, it's, my name's Peyton, but it's Pay McKenzie, okay. P-A-Y-M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Okay, cool. Well, we'll leave that in the show notes too with a link if anybody wants to click on that and follow you and see. I'm sure you have pictures of your daughter in there. We can see. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a wonderful story. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and letting me be a part of your motherhood journey. It is truly an honor. 
If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And I love hearing what you guys think of the podcast. So if you're liking what you hear or you have a suggestion, I'd be so grateful if you'd go ahead and leave me a review wherever you're listening to help more mamas just like you find the show. What do you think? Are you starting to feel a little more confident about your pregnancy and birth? Well, if you want more, be sure to head on over to mommylabornurse.com slash podcast for today's show notes and a library of episodes so you can keep getting educated before your upcoming birth. And while you're over there, be sure to check out the blog and learn about our online birth classes. Find it all and more over at mommylabornurse.com slash podcast. See you next week. Same time, same place.